Well, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Graceway Baptist Church and welcome you to our midweek service. This is a little bit different, a little bit unusual, as you can tell. Um, normally, I record in our auditorium and it looks a little bit more like the preaching in a regular service. But um, yesterday, for whatever reason, I uh, started running a fever and so um, I wanted to wait to get around people for 24 hours just to make sure I didn't give it to them. I don't want to infect Gary and um, I appreciate him so much and all the work that he does to uh, put these live streams and these videos out there for you. And uh, so anyway, we're just kind of going to do it on the back porch and uh, you may hear some birds, you may hear some lawnmowers, that kind of thing, but uh, that won't matter for what we're doing. It's just life, isn't it? So uh, thank you for being a part of this. Pray for one another. If you go to our website at gracewayokc.org, you can download our newsletter. I believe it's under the events tab. And when you download it, you've got not only the events that are coming up, but also a prayer list of different needs that people have. So keep in touch with one another. Pray for one another. Minister in any way you can. And the Lord will certainly bless. We are going to look in Psalm 85, so if you would take your Bible and turn to Psalm 85. I want to uh, ask you to think about the past. Everybody has a past. I've got 61 years of past, right? Now, the thing that um, I think about with that is the vast majority of my 61 years, I don't really remember. I remember highlights and lowlights. I remember some good things. I remember some bad things. In fact, um, you would think we would be prone to remember the good things, wouldn't you? But sometimes we forget those. And um, getting distracted by some rabbits here. Um, anyway, have you ever been talking to a family member? Maybe a grandma, grandpa, mom or dad, brother, sister, cousin, something like that and they bring up something from the past and you go, oh yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. Man, that was fun. And you're kind of able to be refreshed and relive it. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget some of the good things that happened to us? However, I promise you that you've got some things that they may have happened decades ago and it's somebody somebody said or did to you, a mom or a dad, a sibling, a coach, a teacher, anybody like that, and you can still remember what it was like, what you were wearing, what their face looked like. You can remember the temperature of the day, but more importantly, you can remember how you felt. In fact, I've noticed that in my life, I'm not really that bothered by the past unless it's affecting me today. It may affect my outlook, it may affect my mood, it may affect my perception, of, of myself and others, um, but if it doesn't do any of that, I can shove it back in a back closet of my brain and close the door and just not bring it up anymore. But if it's still affecting today, then somehow I've got to deal with it. Now, some people deal with it by just giving into it. Whatever mood, whatever emotion, whatever situation it stirs up, that's what they uh, go with. 
So all of their life, they're haunted by these things and they're controlled by these things too. Now, please don't make any mistake. The demons of hell know your past and they know you and they know you so well, they're more than willing to bring up anything that will hinder you in your spiritual walk. Anything that'll get your eyes off of Jesus, anything that will get you to feeling sorry for yourself, anything that will get you in a funk, you know, whatever they can do, they'll try to do it. Now we all have some of those things and we all go through some of those things. It's kind of human and natural, but to stay in it is a different matter unless there's a cause for it. For example, there are some medications that can make you feel that way. And sometimes there can be a chemical imbalance in the brain that can cause you some trouble with that. I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about the things that happen that affect you and there's no physical or medicinal reason for it. You see what I'm saying? Now, the psalmist, as he is writing here, he's going to refer to the past. But I'm going to ask you to notice everything he says is actually very positive. And I would like to make the point before we stop, uh, start, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Uh, I'm gonna make the point that what you look back on in your past really does determine how it affects you today. Well, look at what this guy says, Psalm 85. Verse one, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have given the iniquity, you have forgiven, pardon me, the iniquity of your people, and you have covered all their sin. Selah. Yeah, that really is something we ought to think about. And a lot of times we have trouble controlling the things of the past because we don't stop and take the time to think about how good God has actually been to us. And we're concerned that God hadn't given us a new car and unconcerned about the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's something we ought to think about, not the little petty ticky-tacky things that we do get hung up on. And to finish the verses we're gonna to cover tonight, verse three says, you have taken away all your wrath and you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Now, the captivity of Jacob, why does he call him Jacob? Well, um, that was another name for Israel. You'll recall that when Jacob wrestled with the uh, angel, his name was changed to Israel. So whenever you see the word Jacob or Israel, they can be interchanged and they can be talking about the person, Esau's brother, or they could be talking about the nation. In this case, it's the nation. This is long after Jacob lived. And the captivity of Jacob, the captivity of Jacob, what would that be? Well, if we try to make it the captivity of Jacob himself, I don't know what you come up with, but if you think about the captivity of the nation of Israel, I can think of two cases. One would be Egypt, Egyptian slavery and bondage. That's captivity, isn't it? And then number two, the Babylonian captivity that happened hundreds, 
of years later. Well, which one are we going to land on? Because we don't really know the context of this psalm. It's not labeled there for us. But the verses kind of do give us some insight. It says concerning this captivity of Jacob in verse 1, it says you have forgiven the iniquity of your people and you've covered all their sin. As far as I know, the captivity of Israel in Egypt wasn't because of any particular sin. But the captivity to Babylon was absolutely the result of Israel's sin. God had warned the nation of Israel, and later after they split, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, time after time after time of what was going to happen if they didn't stop worshiping idols. Idolatry had been a problem for the Jews. You remember the golden calf at Sinai? Right after the Ten Commandments are given, what happens? They build an idol. And then even after Solomon built the temple, the temple builder, for crying out loud, is also found worshiping in the high places, worshiping idols, being influenced by his foreign wives. And so this has been a problem all the way up until uh, 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and plunders its treasures. And then the brightest and best of the nobles were taken to Babylon, and that's why Daniel was serving in the king's court for the king of Babylon and later the king of Persia. Persia later conquered Babylon. So you look at all of that and what was the cause of it. I think it's in the ninth chapter of Daniel that you find that Daniel begins to pray. And one of the things he prays about is that God would forgive the sins of his ancestors. Because the reason Daniel is even in Babylon and the reason that the country has been decimated and the reason for the captivity was the sin, not particularly of Daniel. Daniel was a sinner, but Daniel wasn't really around to cause all of the trouble. It was his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so forth and so on. And so Daniel feels compelled to confess that. Now the word confess does not necessarily mean that you're taking responsibility for it because it was not really Daniel's responsibility. The word confess does mean to agree with God about it. And what Daniel was doing is looking back at the way his ancestors lived, the way more specifically that they sinned and that they ignored the warnings of the prophet, uh, of the prophets and that they basically did what they wanted to do in the face of God. And Daniel is saying, I agree with you about the sins of my ancestors. And uh, that was to keep him fresh and to keep him aware so that he didn't repeat those sins. Okay? So all of this is happening, the captivity of Jacob, because of the sin, repetitive sin, generational sin, constant, constant, constantly ignoring the warnings. <clears throat> And so the writer of this psalm, I think, is writing in the context of Israel being released from captivity 
allowed to come back to the land of Israel and allowed to rebuild their temple. Now, they were um, probably very happy and very zealous right at first. You know how it is. We've all done this kind of stuff. Relief and joy. And I can't believe this is happening. But after they got back to the land, it was difficult. Their fields had not been plowed for 70 years. Building the temple sounded like a great idea until you actually start doing it. There's a pile of rubble that's as big as a mountain there. And um, while they're doing that, they've also got their own houses to build, their own farms and livestock to tend to. They've got family situations, you know, like we do. And so building the temple went on the back burner. In fact, it took them 16 years to build a temple that was actually smaller than Solomon's temple. They didn't rebuild it exactly. So they kind of cooled off and things were not going really, really well. And so this psalmist is calling them to look back on what God has done for them. And I think that if you have, particularly if you have a troubled past, I don't ever want to discount that. And I don't ever want to minimize that or anything at all. But I've noticed that some people, even with a relatively good childhood, good parents, good situation, they still can't get over some things that happened in their past because they focus on those things and they choose to be affected by those things. Now, again, I can't say 100% of the time, so you may be the exception. But for those of you who are not, consider, whatever you focus on in your past is what's going to affect you in your present and in your future. And there have been times when people have said, well, I never felt like my parents loved me. And yet that's the child that all the siblings would say, you've got to be kidding. Mom and dad always favored you. They always liked you best. But they don't see it that way because they focus on one or two things that mom and dad did, said, or maybe didn't do. And that's all they can see. Everything else is colored by that. It's like putting on a pair of glasses with green lenses and looking around and say, see, I told you the whole world is green. Everything in it is green. Well, it depends on what lenses you're going to look through. Well, when this guy writes and addresses the Lord, he sees some things that he wants to remind the people of before he deals with some issues in their life. And first of all, when you look back at your past, when you look back at what has happened, even if your present situation is caused by previous sin and you know it, or maybe your present is affected by somebody else's sin and you were kind of the innocent victim in it, whatever it might be, think and look back to the grace of God. The psalmist says, Lord, you have been favorable, favorable to your land, the mercy of God, the grace of God. There are lots of people groups, lots of nations, lots of races, a lot of people that lived that were powerful and their empires were powerful and strong back in the days when this was written, and they're gone. They're nowhere to be found on the earth. People even have trouble tracing their genealogy back to uh, any of that. Any Hittites, for example? Um, 
No, they're gone. And yet Israel, a very ancient culture, still survives. It survives in a natural, uh, national form, of course, and it survives in a racial form. There are Jews everywhere. And some of the most brilliant people on earth have been Jews. And yet they've also been among the most persecuted, if not the most persecuted people on earth. I heard somebody say the other day, I'm not going to do the research, I'm going to assume they're right, that there have been 19 attempted holocausts of the Jews throughout history. 19 attempts to exterminate them. Some of them we find in the Bible, of course, and some of them we do not. But uh, when you think about all of this, what happens? Well, we ought to be thinking about the grace of God that Israel is still existing. They're back in the land promised to Abraham. And that every time you get around somebody who is Jewish, stop and think. They have Abraham's DNA in them. You are standing by somebody that is a descendant of Abraham. And so it kind of gives you chills when you think about it because it tells us that the promises of God are true and that in spite of Israel's repeated failures, even to this day, to trust God, to believe God, and put their faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, what has God done to them? Well, in spite of everything that they've been through that is bad, think about all of the things they've been through that are good. Think about all of the things that God did to preserve them, to sustain them to this day. There's grace in that. So I'd like to make an application to you. Sometimes when you look back on your past and all you can see are the spiritual holocaust where the devil tried to destroy you, what about all the times that God sustained you? What about all the times that God showed favor toward you? What about the things that he protected you from? You know, things can always be worse, can't they? And you can be hung up on what somebody said to you and uh, somebody else is buried in a cemetery because of what someone did to them. Well, you can thank God that that hasn't happened to you. And you can read your newspaper, listen to the news, look on social media and find all kinds of things that you ought to rejoice in and you rejoice in the things that didn't happen to you because God spared you from them by his grace. The second thing, <clears throat> look at the word and think about the word restoration. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. I'm going to make a guess that this was a big deal to the writer of the psalm, even if it wasn't a big deal to the people. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, so I know that I did and I'm being repetitive. You can imagine when the word came out from King Cyrus of Persia that the Jews could go back to their ancestral land and they could even rebuild the temple. Don't you know there were smiles, there were tears, there was laughter, shouting for joy, a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of prayer, all of that kind of stuff is taking place. And they go back and they're excited to enter the land. Can you believe how good it is to be free? Can you believe how good it is to be back on the land that our family inherited back from the days of Joshua? We're back on the land. But then they saw the weeds, the thorns, and the thistles. 
You know, a sapling that comes up in a pasture is not a big deal unless you let it go for 70 years. Now it's a tree. Can you imagine how many of those things were on the land? They can't plow the land until they get the trees down, until they get the weeds down, until they get the soil turned, and that was a bigger job because it had been setting fallow for 70 years. Can you imagine what it was like to go back into the home that was um, taken from them? And uh, they get back in the home after 70 years. Does your house ever need repairs after 70 years? Does anything go wrong? Is there any structural problems after 70 years? Uh, you bet there are. Can you imagine what it was like? They had to rebuild and they had to refurbish. They had to fix things up. Can you imagine what it was like when they had a family business and they said, well, we'll just go back and open up the family business again, only to find out the population is greatly reduced and the people are impoverished. You can't sell as many widgets as you normally would have, as you did previously. When you realize that Israel was a wealthy country before the exile, now it's a very poor country and everyone, or at least most everyone, is living in poverty and want. And so you look at this and um, he says that you have brought the captivity, brought back the captivity of Jacob. So being brought back from captivity, I would call that a blessing, wouldn't you? I would call that something to rejoice over. And yet the people didn't do that. You read the book of Malachi, you ought to do that sometime. And the people were saying things like, oh, the table of the Lord is so burdensome. Kind of like, do we have to do this again? The Lord indicted them for things like uh, whenever they would bring a sacrifice, somebody would say, it's time to do the sacrifice again. Already? Oh, goodness. And they would look over the flock and they would point and say, get that one. He's not worth anything on the market. He's blind. Uh, let's offer that one. Or maybe they would look at one and go, this one's sick. He's probably not going to live much longer anyway. Go ahead and sacrifice that one. Because there's this tendency that we have as depraved, lazy human beings, we don't want to offer anything that's going to cost us anything. There's a story about King David, and he wanted to make an offering to the Lord. And there's a piece of land where he wanted to do it. So he found the owner, and he said, uh, what do you take for this land? Well, the owner somehow found out what David was going to do. And he said, if you're going to do this to sacrifice to the Lord, you can have it for nothing. Remember that story? And David makes a statement, I will not offer anything that cost me nothing. And yet the spirit of our age is, it better not take too long. It, there better not be too many of them. It better not be too hard. Find me something that is easy. Find me something that doesn't really take up my time or take up my money or require any effort. Someone said one time, if it bears his name, it's worthy of our best. And that certainly is true. But the spirit of the age is make it easy, make it quick, make it to where I don't have to think, make it to where I don't have to put any effort into anything, make it to where I can let somebody else do the heavy lifting for me. And uh, you know, then it'll be okay. 
and we've forgotten what all God has done for us. We've forgotten what he has provided for us. We have forgotten the things that he has done for us. There are a lot of you that are living now in a house you never thought you would own. And at one time, you were extremely grateful for it. You're driving a car like you never thought you would ever drive. You have a job like you never thought you would have. And God has been so good. And at first, you were elated about it. But now it's just ho-hum, can't wait to retire. Um, when can we refurbish the things in the house? And there's no joy and there's no contentment in anything that you have. There's always something bigger, better, more. You're tired of things. That's a big one today, isn't it? And so um, we forget about restoration, where we could have been, where we were, and where God has brought us to. The third thing, the word redemption is here. Verse two, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins, all their sin. And then he says, Selah. Yeah, that is a really good place to just stop and think. What if you had never heard the gospel? What if you didn't have good parents? What if you had the sins of your youth still plaguing you today? What if addictions hadn't been broken? What if a new and living way had not been shown to you? What if abundant life was impossible for you? Where would you be? Dottie Rambo wrote a song one time. She said, roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I might have been. Remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Well, she's right. We need to be reminded because sometimes we think that we're entitled to these things. We think that they're just normal. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think one of the big sins of Americans is we think that freedom is normal. Read your Bible. It's not. Look in history. And the Bible, by the way, is history. I don't mean to make a distinction, but look in history outside of the Bible. It's not. Your ancestors struggled. Most all of us had ancestors that were in slavery. Most all of us had ancestors that couldn't determine what they were going to do for a living. It was assigned to them. And you were stuck in whatever your family did. And if you were high class, you let everybody else do the work, the serfs, the peasants, the slaves. And if you were low class, you were one of the serfs, peasants, or slaves, and you did what you were told. You did what you were bred to do, and you were stuck in it. You didn't have upward mobility. You didn't have the opportunity to get out from under uh, the yoke and the bondage of whatever uh, was happening to you. And that's one of the great things about America. America was essentially the first country that said it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your background is. And we're living in that today. And I think that there is a lot of turmoil in our country and restlessness, if you haven't noticed, because we think that what we've experienced for 
240-something years, we think that's just normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. But if you were to go back and do some research on your family tree and your ancestors, you would find they didn't get to live the way that you live. God has really blessed us, and we've forgotten the joy and the blessing of freedom. Well, the same thing is true in our spiritual life. For some of us, we love to study the Bible, but if it's just the gospel that we talk about, we yawn and go past that quick because we already know that. Now think on this, the gospel, the gospel that saves you, the gospel that says God sent his son to live the life you could not live, die on a cross, and pay for the wrath of God, be raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he has called you to be in his family of the redeemed ones, all because of what he has done. And that's boring. That's something that we think we already know it and understand it. We want to get on to the deep things. What's wrong with us? That's hard to imagine. That's hard to fathom. And the people of Israel must have discounted the fact that God, by punishing them, bringing them back into the land, is assuring them that he's covered their sins and he's forgiven their iniquity. And the psalmist says, now stop and think about that. You know, it might be good if every time we sing a song like this, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us. Remember that one? If at the end of that, Brother Dale just said, Selah. And we took about five minutes to sit down, to be quiet, and to think about what we just sang. You know, there's people that would criticize that. And there's people that would be bored with that. There's people that would think that was a waste of time. Consider what they're really saying. Selah. Think about redemption. And then the last thing, think about reconciliation. Reconciliation. You have taken away all your wrath and you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. When God said that his anger burned hotly against Israel, I'm going to make a guess the relationship between the father and Israel was not real good. When God said that he had wrath against them and was pouring out his wrath on them, I'm going to just make an assumption that affected Israel's worship and that affected God's acceptance of their worship. You know, there were times, um, Jeremiah 14 comes to mind, where uh, the Lord tells Jeremiah, quit praying for these people. Can you imagine the Lord ever saying that to you? Quit it. It's not going to change anything. This is already set in stone. The Babylonians are going to come and the, Judah is going to go into captivity. And then the Lord says something that I think sounds even worse. He said, when they pray, I'm not going to listen. When they fast and give offerings, I'm not going to accept it. But I am going to destroy them with famine, pestilence, and the sword. And notice that God doesn't say the devil is going to or the Babylonians are going to. God takes full responsibility for it. He's disciplining, disciplining his children 
and he's doing it because he loves them and because he's not going to reward bad behavior. Well, the same thing happens in our life. We were dead in trespasses and sins and under the wrath of God, and hell is that place, the lake of fire is that place where the wrath of God is going to be fully revealed and felt. But the moment you trusted Christ and surrendered to him as Lord, the wrath of God is gone and your sins are covered. You remember Jesus telling us that your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west and they're remembered no more. Do you remember the apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, having forgiven us all our trespasses, it's all paid for. And what happened is God through his plan and God through his grace and mercy and love, God through his son and God through the sacrifice of that son has given us what Adam lost. I mean, Adam committed treason and idolatry. He was there with Eve and she was deceived. And uh, the Bible says that she gave to Adam who was with her. Adam should have stepped up. Adam should have said, no, I don't know what all would have happened, but would have been better than what we're living in today, right? But he lost that fellowship with God. And ever since then, every person that is born, except for Jesus, has been born with a sin nature. They've been born spiritually dead, and they've been born alienated from God. Read Romans chapter 3 and just get a feel of what you were like before you were saved. But at the moment of salvation, God came into you and invaded your life. He gave you his Holy Spirit, and he also gave you a spirit, Romans 8, 16. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And we think about the fact that we are joined together again with what Adam lost. And that's something that we ought to rejoice over. And these people should have been rejoicing regardless of the hard times because God took away all his wrath. That's over. That's over. Now it's time to get busy and rebuild. Now it's time to get busy and reestablish things. Yes, it's your fault. Everything's in shambles and everything's messed up, but I'm here to help. That verse in uh, Zephaniah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, keep that in context. That was Zerubbabel looking at the ominous task of getting rid of all of the temple rubble from Solomon's temple after 70 years. <clears throat> God said, it's not going to be by your might or your power. It'll be by my spirit. This is an amazing thing. God is going to stir them up. Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls. They are eventually going to rebuild the temple. This is a time that should have been a glorious, glorious time. But it wasn't because when they got hung up on their past, all they could think of is what could have been. All they could think of is sin and defeat. All they could think of was exile and bondage. And so the psalmist is reminding them here, nope, God hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. And God is going to fulfill everything that he said he would do. And he's not only going to do that for ancient Israel. He's going to do it for you as well. 
And so we need to look back on those things and we can see how some of our troubled past fit into the sovereignty of God with these very things. And they led us to the cross. They taught us lessons in relationships. They taught us how to improve, how to grow. Jesus grew in uh, wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with man. In other words, intellectually, um, physically, spiritually, and socially. Well, so do we. And some of these things that we look back in our past are the very things that propelled us into a more mature relationship with God. So whenever you look back at your past, don't just look back at the few things that were bad. Look back on all of the good things that were there. And I don't mean just the good things of life or the good things that mom and daddy did for you. That's fine. Look back on all the things that God has done for you. And uh, it's like the old hymn says, count your many blessings, right? When upon life's billows you were tempest-tossed, when you get discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. And that's what the psalmist is doing here, reminding God's people of their many blessings, how blessed and how graced they really are. And you'll find the same thing in your life. Well, thank you for the time you've taken to watch this video. I hope it's been a blessing to you and that you will apply it to your life and continue on with us as we go through Psalm 85. Thank you. God bless you.